Blog Talk Radio. Welcome to the Left of Straight Show with your host, Scott Fullerton, as we discuss everything under the rainbow sun, from LGBT issues to foodies, entertainment to books. Join us as we talk to some of the most interesting leaders and celebrity LGBT guests and allies on the Internet. So grab a cocktail, it's always happy hour somewhere, and enjoy the show. Now, here's your host, Scott Fullerton. Howdy, 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 everybody. Welcome to Left the Straight Show. It is Wednesday, June 17th, 2020. I am your host, Scott Fullerton. Thanks for tuning in, guys. We really appreciate it. Hope you're all having a great hump day and ready to slide into the weekend. I know I am already. If you missed yesterday's show, we had a fantastic couple of guests. My buddy Andy Dugan came on. He is a lawyer for Equality Ohio here in Ohio and talked about the new Supreme Court ruling that came out Monday guaranteeing LGBT rights in the workplace. We cannot be fired anymore for being LGBTQNT, which is really important here in Ohio because we are one of 26 states where they could fire you for being gay. So it was a big decision on Monday. We talked about it with Andy yesterday. It's still a long way to go. You can still be denied housing in Ohio. You can still be denied a lot of other things. We have a long way to go, but um, being in the workforce and not being able to be fired because of your orientation or gender identity is a big step in the right direction. So thanks to the six Supreme Court justices that did it and the three that didn't, shame on them. Also, yesterday I had uh, my good buddy Danny Gomez. He's an actor, comedian, and host. We had a fun old chat with him yesterday, so you can hear that. And David Beebe came on. David's a fantastic producer of some great um, TV. He's done web series for some uh, little options for some of your favorite shows like Grey's Anatomy and Scrubs and uh, Ugly Betty. He's also produced great food travel shows. And he is known as the brand storyteller. He's so good at it, he has it trademarked. And we had a great conversation with him. So if you happen to miss yesterday's show, just head over to any of your favorite podcast distributors. You can go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or iTunes, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, and look for the Left of Straight show. Download the episode. And while you're there, hit the little subscribe button. You'll get a notification every time a show goes on. And you can just check back and download any of the shows that you're interested in listening to. I would definitely appreciate it. Today, another great show for you. In just a couple seconds, we're going to have our weekly Pop Culture Minute with our good buddies J&J Buzz. That's Jeff and Josh from beautiful Nashville, Tennessee, for letting us know what's going on in the pop culture world. And then a little later on, I have two good interviews today. I have Florian Klein coming on first. He's a live interview, and it's an interesting story, guys. I'm not even going to tease it. Let's just call it a very interesting story. 
And then after that, we're going to have a pre-tape interview I did a couple weeks ago with Josh McKenna. Josh is from London who came here to the U.S. to visit in January and then got quarantined for the entire time. But he is an amazing graphic artist, and you may know his work if you've been on Instagram at all. He is the artist that created the pride sticker of the black man in the blue jeans and the uh, red high heels kind of bending back and doing a snap. That was Josh that created that. He's done some amazing graphic art projects. So we'll have him on tonight also. So a great show we have for you. I want to give a big shout out. I had a couple intern training classes this weekend. I have some fantastic new interns in the Left to Straight show. And in studio right now, we have Dave running the boards for us today. So Welcome to Dave and all the guys that are helping us out this week. That's been kind of fun, and they've got all sorts of stuff going on. You might want to follow their social media as Left of Straight Radio on Twitter and Instagram, L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R and the number eight radio. They'll be posting things throughout the week, and on LinkedIn, if you haven't uh, decided to send me a uh, – I forget what LinkedIn is called. It's not a friend request. It's basically a – I don't know. It's something. If you want to follow me on LinkedIn, send a request over there because we're posting stuff on there as well. So we got that going on. Uh, A couple interesting things in the news today, and we'll get into our pop culture buzz. If you guys were fans of Noah's Ark at all, they're going to reunite for a special 15th anniversary reunion episode streaming on Facebook and YouTube on July 5th. That's the day that I leave on the Big Gay Road Trip. Uh, If you're not familiar with the series that followed the lives of a group of gay African-American men living in Los Angeles, the show ran for two seasons on Logo, followed by a wrap-up movie in 2008. The the reunion is going to bring all the original series stars, Daryl Stevens, Jensen Atwood, Rodney Chester, Doug Spearman, and Christian Vincent, along with the series creator, Patrick Ian Polk. He actually wrote this. Uh, anniversary uh, reunion so it's going to be very cool and it's kind of cool because it takes them from the 12 years from the original series and finds them smack in the middle of the current protests against police brutality and racial injustice so very timely stuff and that'll be on july can um, before the show goes there we'll see what happens and then tonight starting streaming the new series love victor It's based on the TV series um, movie, Love, Simon. It arrives tonight on Hulu Channel, streaming on Hulu. You can catch all the episodes of the first season. It basically follows Victor, who moves to the town that Simon was originally from. It's Creekwood High, and he's a new student. Victor, he tries to settle in. He begins a sort of pen pal relationship with Simon from the original Love, Simon movie. And it offers Victor advice about dating, navigating high school friendships, and learning to be himself. Victor begins to date the beautiful Mia, played by Rachel Hilson, and also develops uh, undeniable chemistry with his openly gay friend, Benji, played by George Sear. So it's going to be very, very interesting. Um, Michael Simino is the one playing Victor, and that started tonight on Hulu. So if you haven't checked it out, you have Hulu. Be sure to check out that series. Let's go ahead and get into a little pop culture now. We're going to bring on my good buddies, J and J Buzz. That's Josh and Jeff. 
fiancés from the beautiful city of Nashville, Tennessee. They're going to tell us what's on their radar today, and I'll be back to talk about that in just a couple seconds. So take it away, Dave. Here's Josh and Jeff. You are listening to Josh and Jeff on J&J Buzz. Exclusively on Left of Straight Radio Network. Now, live from Nashville, Tennessee, here's Josh and Jeff. Uh, <laughs> what up, y'all? What up? Hey. Hey, uh, happy Pride. Happy Pride, guys. Yeah. I mean, this is, like, exciting for you, right? You love Pride. I do. Yeah. Even though I've never been to one Pride yet. Oh, my God. You've never been, seriously. Never. Uh, of course, it's all canceled this year because of coronavirus. Well, that's okay. It, it, I'm, we're still going to be proud. Always. About Pride. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> so, do you watch Fox News? Uh, not really. Uh, that should be no. <laughs> I, I'm just kidding. I have a confession. I used to watch Fox News. And you don't anymore. No, I don't. But anyway, nightly commentator on the show, Tucker Carlson, on that channel, he's pretty vile against the LGBT community, allegedly. You know, you got to say allegedly. Allegedly. Yeah, because you can't – because otherwise they could, like, sue you or something. I don't know. Anyway, uh, I don't watch him, but the, the gay press is – pretty ticked off at him allegedly and uh, now he's in trouble with advertisers because he made a rant against the black lives matter movement saying quote actually wait stop i'm I, i'm not even gonna quote him he said something really nasty and i'm not going to repeat it anyway some of the advertisers that have said hell no were uh the walt disney company papa john's poshmark and one funny one is actually the t-mobile ceo who recently said, quote, we, are, we aren't running ads on that show, and we won't be bu- running ads on that show in the future. Bye-bye, Tucker Carlson, end quote. That's funny. The best way to end someone's platform is for advertisers to stop paying the money, right? <laughs> yeah, of course. Yeah, so no money equals no show. No money knows nothing. I know that story kind of bored you, but I thought it was kind of <laughs> cool. What story do you got? What's okay, up? so... A lot of different companies have changed their logo for Pride Month, like uh, Instagram, Apple, Mastercard. Wait, wait, what does that mean? They they changed their logos, like they made them put a rainbow color to it. Oh, okay, like the rainbow color. Yeah, thing. and you know, SpongeBob is the chosen character for Pride Month. What SpongeBob? SpongeBob SquarePants. He's gay. Well, just for this month. <laughs> you know, <laughs> we we're gay all year round, but yeah, SpongeBob uh, is just a month. Just one month. Uh. I don't, did you ever watch that show? Uh, that show wasn't around when I was. Okay, little. you know that's good, and we're not gonna hate on the like official mascot, I guess, or whatever they're calling it. But <laughs> so, congrats, SpongeBob, for being gay for a month. Happy Pride, SpongeBob. Yeah, exactly. Uh, so, were gay or and bi people getting frisky and doing the dirty during uh, the coronavirus? Well, <laughs> now we have research. That gives us the answer, like we needed research for that. But, uh, <laughs> yeah, new research compiled by the University of Westminster, the London School of Hygiene and Tropical Medicine. That sounds like a cool school. Uh, reported by AIDSMAP that many gay and bi men stopped having casual sex during the quarantine. 60% of people didn't have sex. Where's that at? <laughs> in London, I guess. <laughs> Participants in the study were also asked how long they could go without casual sex. How many people, like 50%, what do you think? Uh, 2%. 
Uh, <laughs> 57% said they could go without sex for six months. 30% said they could do it for three months. Well, you couldn't do it for more three days. power to all, every single one of them. <laughs> uh, exactly. <laughs> okay, you know, um, there is a company called Black and Pink. And it has an online database where you can go and write incarcerated LGBTQ. Whoa, whoa, whoa. So, like, pen pals? Yeah. So, like, you go on there, and there's obviously always people incarcerated that are wanting a pen pal. Yeah. So, yeah, you that's can how go I found you. And <laughs> that is not how I found you, but <laughs> that's funny. Anyway, y'all have a happy, happy pride. Happy Pride. I'm Josh. And I'm Jeff. This was J&J Buzz. This was J&J Buzz. Exclusively on Left of Straight Radio Network. Well, thank you, boys. Appreciate you coming on and giving us that J&J Buzz Pop Culture Minute. Always love having my friends from Nashville, Tennessee on, letting us know what's going on there in the world. Well, guys, I'm excited. we got two interviews ahead for you in just a couple of seconds. We're going to have Florian Klein calling in from New York City. He has an interesting story to tell. We're going to play in a couple of seconds a medley of songs from a musical he has written. And then a little later on in the show, we're going to have Josh McKenna on, an amazing graphic artist who has created one of the most iconic pride stickers out there and just does some really great kind of art deco work and he's going to be out at the big gay road trip in palm springs as well so let's go ahead and get ready for florian to come on so we're going to let uh, dave in studio there is going to play our shooting star medley and when i come back i'll be talking to the writer of the play that that songs are from you're listening to Left to Straight Show. We'll be back in just a couple of minutes. I go out on auditions that I don't ever book. Is it the way I speak, the way I dress? Do they just not like my look? Am I just a shitty actor? Tell me now who masticates. I spent all I had to come out here. Sure, I dominate this place. Well, perhaps I have been running on the wrong track. But if I choose to take this course, there's just no turning back. Maybe it's all I
before the Tumblr blogs and tweets. You'd be amazed at how we blazed on screen beneath the sheets those golden days. How I wish that I could go back. I miss my youthful eyes. I thought I'd only rise with my better days behind me. It's backwards I still gaze to those golden days, my golden days, those golden days. I try to be The crowd is going wild. Guys, we are back. That was a medley from the musical Shooting Star, conceived and written by my next guest. Was it recorded at 54 Below in Manhattan, you ask? No. Martinis Above Fourth in San Diego? Not quite. That's from the third annual Straight Up Porn Awards last year in Los Angeles. How fantastic is that? It might not be a traditional path, but this German-born hunk has made his musical world take notice after going from gay porn star to hit musical maker. The show was widely received and received two Ovation Award nominations from the L.A. Stage Alliance and a Broadway World Regional Best Musical nomination. I can't wait to get into this incredible story, so please welcome to Let's Straight Show for the very first time, Mr. Florian Klein. Florian, how you doing, buddy? I'm doing well. Thank you. How are you? 
I am doing amazing. Thank you so much for calling in tonight. What's going on? How is everything? You've been in the heart of everything in New York City. You doing well, my friend? Yeah. Um, uh, in my little world, everything's okay. Uh, I'm, on the, I'm on the Upper East Side, and uh, I don't really see a lot of the crazy stuff that was going on in the city. Um, I actually have to watch the news for that. Well, that's Thank a good God. thing, actually. <laughs> yeah, it's good yeah. to be away from it all. Um, I think you guys have your takeout and everything, but you still you're not allowed to go out to restaurants or anything yet, right? You guys are still pretty much locked down. Uh, totally. I think the the only thing what is construction and and curbside uh, pickup is 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 open, uh, but everything else is closed. Gotcha. I mean, yeah, Ohio's stores, kind of, of course, and drug stores and that. I get that's open, but no restaurants, no bars. Right. Ohio's getting back into the swing of things. We um, opened outdoor seating at restaurant. We had the um, takeout the entire time for food where you can pick up curbside takeout. And then about to go, they started to let three or four weeks ago, they started doing um, construction. Two weeks ago, they let outside patio dining. Last week, they let indoor dining, which is limited capacity. And starting Friday, they're allowing movie theaters to open again and Cedar Point, which is our big amusement park here in Northeast Ohio. So it's going wow. pretty quick. I'm a little scared that it's going this fast. You want to be honest. But, uh, yeah, it's kind of crazy. Kind of crazy. Yeah, I think well, we, we rely on Cuomo. We rely on Cuomo here, on Governor Cuomo, um, that, uh, that he's, doing, he's taking the right steps. I think he should run for president. <laughs> I agree. I think he's been doing a fantastic job. And I got to tell you, even Northeast Ohio, our governor did really good in the beginning with the acting. I think he opened up too soon, but he shut everything down quick and hard. And I was very mm. impressed for being a Republican governor that he was doing some smart stuff. Got a little too quick on the reopening, but I have to say I've been pretty impressed overall with him. But let's talk about you, 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 enough about this COVID stuff. Let's give a little background. Your first time on the show, let my listeners know about where you grew up, what kind of a kid were you, and I have to hear about you being in a boy band. So talk with me. Wait, did I tell you that I was in a boy band? Or did you like? Oh, did you dude, do I do research like, a, like it's my job. I know so many things <laughs> about you, you'll have no idea what's coming next. I know because not not a lot of people know about know about that because it was not very very successful. Um, well, yeah, obviously I'm from I'm from Germany. I was I was born and raised in the southern part of Germany. For Americans, uh, I would say it's the German side of the Sound of Music land because even though the Sound of Music <laughs> takes place in Austria in Salzburg, I was born on the other side uh, of the mountains. But I grew up exactly like that with uh, lots of hills that were alive with the Sound of Music. And uh, later, hosen had a lot of a lot of green, which was um, beautifully looked at it. But when you grow up in the in the eighties and you're gay, I couldn't wait to get to get out of there. And when I was twenty, I moved to Munich, and uh, from from Munich then to Berlin, and I started um, in the in the entertainment industry as an actor, as a as a host, um, as a singer, as as a dancer, and. Uh, when I think Take That, the British boy band, was not really that successful in the States, right? In the 90s. Right, not too much. Not really, yeah. Yeah, 
Because when, when they split up, like, uh, a friend of my singing teacher, he said, like, we should put our own uh, boy band together. So FAM was, was founded, Florian Armando Marco, and we did a, a, a Latino version of the Cutting Crew classic, uh, I Just Died in Your Arms Tonight. I don't know why it was nice. a Latino version, because I'm not that Latino. <laughs> I'm, like, completely German. Um, and, uh, but, but he had great connections to BMG. So we were actually released back in the day still with a, with a CD, but only one song. And, um, and, uh, yeah, that was it (laughs) that we did one song. We had a couple of TV appearances. They didn't put any, any money into, uh, the production of a music video, unfortunately. And then that was it. So once one of, one of my dreams came true to be a professional singer, to have a boy band and then, and then. And then zip, that was it. There you go. Well, I wish that video would have been around. That would have been fun. Goodness gracious. Well, let's yeah. talk about um, being a, a young gay man and, and growing up here. Talk about, to me, tell me when you first came out to yourself and when did you really find your tribe in the LGBTQ community? Was it in Berlin or tell me about that? Um, I, I love when you say like come out to yourself because because uh, for me May 16th 19, 1992 uh, I was just short of my 20th birthday um, that's when I came out to myself like that's my gay anniversary because I had I had fooled around with guys before but um, I I would think we're probably around the same age am I correct or you can relate probably. to very, some of the things that close. I talked yeah, to we're pretty close yeah yeah. Because, you know, like back in the days, there was no Will and Grace. There was no grinder or scruff that told you that your neighbor might be, neighbor might be gay. Um, there weren't right. any gay politicians or anything gay. The only thing gay that you had was actually the, the awful guy, gays on, on TV and in the movies, like the, the, the funny sidekicks. Uh, or you knew that the, hair, the hairdresser or the, the makeup artist uh, was gay. And uh, not, not that there's anything wrong with being a hairdresser or a makeup artist. I just was never interested in makeup or hair. So I always thought, like, I'm, <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not gay. I, I, I don't want to do that. I also don't want to work with flowers or anything like that or, or interior design. As I said, not that there's anything wrong with all of them. It was just right, any of the stereotypes. I got gotcha. you. Right, right. So I didn't want to be gay. And I said um, I, was, I was fighting it because I had a very, very typical uh, childhood that I sometimes was the only boy at a, at a girl's birthday because all my friends were, were, were girls. And, and uh, I think if we had had a glee club or, or a drama club at my school, I would have probably found something, would have found something that, that helps me with my development. Because um, back then I felt very strange and different and, 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 and lonely and crazy and weird. And, uh, this is still like things that I'm, I just started a therapy again where we're going through all of these things. Cause I just hope the new generations of gays have it differently, uh, and don't have to struggle with these things where you grow up and you just pretend to be someone you're not. And the rest of your life, you have to, to figure out who you actually really are. Sorry. I'm going really deep right. here. <laughs> no, well said though. I like that. Yeah. And when did you first kind of find a tribe and come into your own with the LGBT community? That was in, in, in Munich, as I said, like, like after May 16th, 19, 1992, because that's when I, when I deliberately drove uh, about 80 miles to the next big uh, gay club. Um, and, uh, and 
back then you could still smoke inside. And for some reason, I thought it'd be a really great way to hit up and ask guys if I can have a cigarette or if they have a lighter or whatever so that I can <laughs> talk to them. So I, was, I smoked a lot of cigarettes that night. And finally, I met, I met Jürgen, a very German name, um, who I went home with. He was not the first guy that I had sex with, but uh, it was, I think, the first time that I really spent the night with, some, with someone. And then I told him, um, I gave him my real name, but I told him that I came from a completely different town because I was afraid <laughs> that he might run into my small village and say, like, oh, he's gay and he fucked this or he had sex with me. Um, and, and, and I thought that he's going to out. I came back. We started dating for three, for three months. I told him the truth. And he was definitely my gateway into the normality of, of being gay. Uh, he introduced me to, to all shades of gay um, and, uh, and, and that's how then I also, uh, through him, um, one of his friends then became my, my first long-term relationship for four years, um, shortly after I turned 20, um, and, uh, who's still Stefan, like he's still my best friend and we're still in touch, but yeah, he definitely, he helped me find my, my rooting in the, in the, in the gay community. That's awesome. It's good to, it's, it's, that's actually a pretty good first experience because it's such a scary time going out there. And like you said, uh, you don't know what to expect. So very good. I love that. Very, very cool. Well, let's start going into your career a bit. I mean, you, you were going to be a serious actor, dude. You went to New York city, four years of classical training, went to LA and all that training didn't pay off too well, did it? Talk to me about your early experiences trying to be an actor well as i said i've been working in the entertainment industry since since the midnight and since the mid 90s and then um i was auditioning for a german uh soap uh and in the early 2000s and they said i need to work on my acting training at that time i was i was living in berlin and i and i wanted to move into another area in berlin so I said, I'm just going to put everything in storage. I'm going to go to New York, visit friends of mine. I'd never been to New York, but they had always invited me. And I said, I'm going to stay there for three months, take a three-month uh, acting class, uh, and then go back to Berlin and, and continue my German acting career. But then I fell in love with, uh, with New York, and everything was like insane, like in the movie. Um, and uh, I signed up at HB Studio, which is a small acting school here in New York in the village. Took, yeah, four years of acting classes. 2006, I wanted to um, find out what Hollywood is like and become the German Brad Pitt. Moved to Hollywood, was doing <laughs> uh, more acting classes. Uh, it's, it's always so frustrating when you look at your tax return and then, or when you do your taxes and you see like how, many, how much money you spend on your acting and how very little money you get back, which means I had to do a lot of catering which in L.A. was amazing because I worked for Jennifer Lopez, Barbara Streisand. I served the Obama's drinks. Um, I, I was wow. working for, for Joan Rivers on a, on, a, on a regular basis. You can actually, I was, I was in her reality TV show, Joan and Melissa, Joan Knows Best, um, in episode three of the first season, and I'm serving drinks, no, actually high tea to Perez Hilton. I was hired like for that episode, even though, as I said, I was working for Joan uh, for at least like – 10 years in, in New York and in LA. Um, so anyways, yes, I did audition. I did book a couple of Nazi jobs. That's what you get when you're German in, in, in Hollywood. Um, and then at some point started, oh yeah, I hooked up with friends of mine that were go-go dancers at Mickey's in West Hollywood that 
probably a lot of your listeners know, and uh, and started go-go dancing there with them. Uh, got recruited to do adult film, and at some point, no, and I at first said can't do it because I'm a real actor. I'm working on my acting career, but then I realized <laughs> that there's no acting career to destroy. I love sex. Why not? And uh, I asked all my friends that were working in the industry because through go-go dancing, I already knew a couple of guys uh, like Adam Russo. Um, and, uh, yeah, they helped me get in touch with Titan. I had my interview in, in San Francisco with Titan and uh, shot my first adult film in uh, the summer of 2012. And it's still that part of my life. That is a wild journey. Wild yeah. journey, though. I kind of love it. And it just uh... – just trying to get that first big break. It's always kind of who, you know, and you can have all that training and you work so hard. And like you said, you see yourself paying out more than you're getting in in gigs. So good on you for like keeping at it like that. Did you know Tony Tripoli at all when you were working with Joan? Tony who? Tony Tripoli. He was a comedian and was her uh, kind of right hand man. He opened for her in a lot of her stage shows. And also worked on Fashion Police with her as a producer. Just want to know if you guys yeah, meet Subdriver. No, maybe I've met him, but it doesn't ring a bell. No. Gotcha. No problem. Yeah. Just checking. Tony's a good friend of the show. Yeah, just we, we were talking off air how many mutual friends we had, and I didn't know yeah. you'd work with Joan Rivers, so that's kind of cool. Very nice. Well, maybe, maybe where he remembers me. It was, it was funny. Like I became really close with the family because at one point I forgot my catering pants, and then actually Melissa's boyfriend, uh, uh, he gave me, like he, I borrowed some pants from him because I didn't have any dress oh, pants hilarious. with me. Um, and even, even, uh, like, uh, yeah, Joan, Joan remembered me from New York when I, when I started working for Melissa and Pacific Palisades and, uh, and yeah, as I almost felt like I was part of the family. It was, um, it felt really sad when, when that happened, like when she, when she passed away and just, just a right. regular procedure. And yeah, it was, that was the first time that I really felt like, damn. Yeah, I had Tony on when that happened because, uh, like yeah. I said, he worked with her quite a bit. Um, I've had Margaret Cho on every year, and she was oh, nice. really, really close with Joan. So a lot of people, that was a very sad time. You're right. Um, I was yeah. never close to her. I never knew her at all. But um, I just a lot of my friends um, related what a sad time it was because it was so unexpected. Yeah. And she was actually, like, when you worked for her, um, that was, it was, like, the only parties where we had to wear a, a tuxedo, like a catering tuxedo. Like, she was actually very formal, and we had to address her as uh, Mrs. Rosenberg. Like, at, at her house, she was not, uh, not Mrs. R- Miss Rivers. It was, she was Mrs. Rosenberg, um, named after her, um, her husband, her late husband. Um, and uh, she was always super fair. She always had very nice gifts for us uh, when we did her Thanksgiving party. And most of the time it was friends. It was not so many celebrities. Uh, it was more friends. But I remember at some point she said, I don't, have any more, I don't have any more friends. They're all dead. Oh, no. Oh, no. gosh. No. <laughs> uh, she was a one of a kind, that's for sure. And she is definitely yeah. missed. Yeah. So, wow, so I didn't even know that. That's very cool. Yeah, so it's like catering, catering was fun. I think I was also like I continued catering even when I started doing doing porn, and I was always waiting for some people to recognize me. That that had never happened. I feel like once you once you put like your catering clothes on, um, they don't they don't recognize you from being naked in in in, in a film. <laughs> um, 
There you go. Way too much clothes once you have the bow tie on or whatever. Yes. <laughs> yeah. I like but it. But it's um it's well, it's it's very interesting because cause, um with uh with 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 porn like with doing the adult film it's uh, I I came to Hollywood I wanted to become an entertainer I wanted to get paid for my entertainment I wanted to travel I wanted to do radio interviews like this I wanted to um pass, yeah as a fan. And all of that, and and it all came true. It's just that the entertainment became a different entertainment that I had planned, and uh, and you realize that our society, like what we see as good or bad, what we see as success um, or failure, is is completely subjective, um, because it's it's like what's the difference between me being and being an actor. Uh, like a legit actor and an adult film actor. I said it's only in the eye of the beholder. And uh, feel right. free to disagree, but um, but that's one of the things where I thought, like, no, I didn't fail. I actually I actually became successful because um, it's also in, in the show, in Shooting Star, it's like uh, only the smart ones survive because uh, it's not just having sex. If you want to have a career and make a career out of it, um, you also have to be a, a businessman. Uh, in some kind of way, and uh, right. if I look at at at, uh, at some some of the guys that have been doing this for forever, like Cutler X, uh, uh, Rocco Rocco Steele, Austin Wilde, uh, Austin um, the other Austin, um, they they're all like really smart business people as well. Right? No, they really are. Do you happen to see the documentary Circus of Books on Netflix? Not yet. It's, it's not yet. It's on my list. It's on my list. It's on my Netflix list. I usually watch things like that when I'm traveling to the city. So my next trip for, for to L.A., um, I want to watch that. It's very interesting. I had the director on, Rachel, who lived it, obviously. Um, it was yeah. her parents' bookstore there. And that was my really first foray into the gay scene. I was born and raised in Southern California. And yeah. I did the same thing kind of you. Driving to Hollywood was like a 45-minute drive for me so that was my very first place i went to circus of books because it was it said right on it got a gay bookstore there and everything so i saw i got my very first gay magazine there and some got my first video there so it was an amazing documentary her parents being this middle-aged straight jewish couple running this gay porn emporium and they end up producing their own porn too they had jeff strikers one of their actors for quite a while who was huge as a business of course so it's very i think you'd really enjoy it's very interesting yeah definitely it's Um, it's on my in my list um i love that that because of netflix now that we that that uh documentaries like that become mainstream like you don't you don't have to feel like a nerd anymore if you watch documentaries you actually yeah they become mainstream like people watch them and you can talk about them exactly well, let's talk about the business for just a second, because you had a, uh, a a very different experience in the perceived business of the porn industry, right? Um, everyone perceives it as being nothing but sex, drugs, and rock and roll, basically, right? But you found a lot of professionalism. I'm sure there's a little bit of that going on, but talk about your experience being in the industry and how you approach yeah, the but, industry. But I, but I think what you said, like sex, like the sex, drugs, and rock and roll. I feel this is what we perceive, what we, what, what, what society tells us, and what we, what we read when we, when we read about porn or when we see something about porn. But I've actually, like, I've, i I was very surprised when I shot my first, like, basic, basically, I remember before I 
did my interview with Titan. I had an, an hour-long conversation with, uh, with um, um, Jason, um, who was a director at Titan. And I asked him all these questions. I said, like, do I have to have sex with everyone, um, like, uh, like, on the set? Like, does everyone just, just fluff each other, like, also people behind the camera? And, and do you guys do drugs? And, 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 like, I had, like, this, how do you say, preconceived um, opinion of what's going to happen. And I was so, and, and I was on, on Hollywood sets before. So when I went on my first porn set, I was surprised that it actually is very similar to, 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 an, to a Hollywood set. Um, you go there, uh, you show up on time, because it's the same thing. Like if you're, if you're a diva, if you have a really big dick, if you have a great ass, if you're super young and super hot, um, you might get away with it. But, but it's really like in every other industry, if you're a good worker, if you're reliable, the studios will book you more often. Because if you're just a dick to work with, they don't want to work with you anymore. And, and the whole drug thing, that's what, what people ask me. Yes, there are studios like um, uh, Treasure Island that was uh, glorifying that in some of their, their, their films, which uh, was also like kind of a fetish where you could see that people were high. Um, but in, 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 in most of the, the, the mainstream porn, or I would say in all of the mainstream porn, you also have to be fully conscious to sign your name when you fill out your paperwork before you shoot the, the, the scene. I remember at one, one studio that were actually filming me while I was signing the contract, and I had to say that I was not under the influence, that I'm not a nut job, that I'm fully aware that I'm going to be shooting a porno, and, uh, and that I'm not going to sue them afterwards. So they're, they're making sure that people are not on drugs. I mean, if you sneak into the bathroom, then you need to take something, and you can still perform, then, then it's okay. But if, if, uh, if you can see it on camera, I think even the studio would get, would get in trouble. So I was, I was surprised right. that there's so much professionalism um, in, in, in that industry. Um, on the other hand, we have a line in the show where that says, uh, like, the porn industry were like family, but remember, Cain and Abel, they were family too. So, <laughs> like, oh, in, a, gotcha. in a lot of, like, the entertainment uh, industries, uh, there's, there's always some backstabbing, and there's always some people who maybe have some, 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 some issues, have some problems. Um, but uh, I always say, like, it's, it's, it's shocking that there is suicide in the, in, the, in the gay industry. But unfortunately, the suicide rate within the, the, the LGBT community is higher than the, the average suicide rate. But if, right. I don't know, Joe Schmoe commits suicide uh, somewhere in Cleveland, um, you don't really hear about it. But if, if, uh, I'm one of my fellow porn actors, and thank God there hasn't been anything lately. Um, if they if if they commit suicide, then you hear about that, and then a lot of people say, "Oh yeah, it's porn. Porn kills its people," and that's right. wrong. No, I hear you. I, I agree 100% on that. We'll talk about. I want to transition into your musical here in a second, but I do. You're such a great advocate on HIV/AIDS, and I want you to talk about that work a little bit and how important it is to get the message out about prep and everything. What would you like the listeners to know um, from your teachings? Well, one of the things that I have learned is um, that when you just by speaking the truth, a friend of mine, a very smart friend of mine said, just by speaking the truth, you help other people. Um, Cause I, I contracted HIV in 2001 and I started porn in 2012. It's also, I'm, I'm always, I always want to break stigma 
because um, a lot of people thought like, oh, oh, you got, you got, you got uh, HIV, you caught HIV while you were doing porn. It's like, no, that's what you think because the porn, because you think porn is bad. I, I got it in 2001 um, using condoms, and I was so sure. I, I hadn't done a test for two years, so I actually think that I contracted it in 99 because that's the last time when I got sick. Um, but, uh, I was, I was, uh, always using condoms and I was one of these guys who says like, no, I'm super safe. Um, but then I guess like a condom broke, I'm, I'm versatile. So maybe someone, uh, I'm trying not to say the F word, uh, but someone, um, <laughs> put his penis into my anus and maybe took a condom off or a condom broke. Um, so I don't know. I was, I was uh, dumbfounded when I found out, uh, in 2001 that I, that I contracted HIV and I was struggling with it for for a long time um on one hand i said i want to start my positive life positive and the whole thing rocky horror show don't dream it be it also was one of the reasons why why i came to new york and started uh, uh and started my acting class and 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 lived in one of the hardest cities to live if you don't have any money um and still made it work right. or moved to la it's like one of these things where you think life like you're faced with your own mortality even though i never got AIDS, i was never sick i was very lucky that i became positive at a time when there was already great medication available but you still get confronted with your you are confronted with your mortality that life is not unlimited so as i said i had this positive look on life but i might have had this whole thing about um am i still lovable because my 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 penis produces uh, poison now. I remember the first time when I jerked mm. off that it was very painful to, to, to look at my cum. I think I was, I was crying um, because so much now, and I'm going to go into detail uh, uh, further along with U equals U, undetectable um, uh, uh, equals untrans- untransmittable. That came out in 2008. Um, then uh, now we have PrEP, which has been on the market since, since 2012. But Back then, the only thing was, okay, you have sex with, a, with someone who's positive without a condom um, or just a condom, um, and that is like the safest, the safest option. And I remember that our AIDS education in Germany was different. We, we don't ask. You just used a condom back then if you hooked up with someone that you didn't know. I was surprised when I came to the States in 2002 that – Someone asked me, like, if you're negative or positive, because if you're negative, we don't have to use a condom. And at that point, I, I lied. I, I didn't want I, – I was – I mean, as a gay man, you're always afraid of rejection, especially, I feel like, our generation, because we didn't want to be rejected for being gay. And right. now you're being – you're afraid of being rejected for, for being positive. So I remember I, I lied, but I said, I want to use a condom. I just feel safer and got into some issues. And then the whole, the whole online dating started. I became very anonymous. So I definitely at some point went to therapy um, and uh, was working on that, um, on this loving yourself issue. And I had a very, very, very good um, therapist, uh, Michael Laboratory, who unfortunately passed away of of pancreatic cancer a few years ago. And he helped me to really, to, to be open about my HIV status. And then like 180 degrees, how do you say that? How do you say that in English? 180 degrees. He changed. Turn, yeah, that's it. 180 degree yeah. turn, yeah, that's it. Yeah, yeah. And then I became very open about it. Um, meaning in 2014, I finally told my parents about it because uh, I had the good son syndrome, 
um, that you always wanted to be uh, never never cause your 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 parents any more problems because in the back of my head I might have thought that I was a problem because I was gay. Um, so I never told them about me being HIV positive. Uh, my brother did a lot of bodybuilding and did a lot of steroids and uh, got testicle cancer. They think that probably that was from 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 being from taking too many steroids. Um, he survived. Everything's fine. But um, but but he had cancer and, and told my parents right away. And everybody was there and said, like, oh, you got cancer. That poor guy. And then you're there with HIV. And it's, it's, I had amazing friends, but I never had this. Um, how do you say like this this embrace from your from your family that my family was there yeah, for the me. support so, right and, right so in twenty four in twenty fourteen I had some foot surgery and I had to be in Germany for a few months um, and I told my parents I said like you know I, I, and I actually had packed all my stuff because I thought of my parents are afraid or something's gonna gonna happen that their love for me changes um, sorry I'm <laughs> always like still an emotional um, thing moment because um, because oh I understand it didn't. Yeah, I I told him that, and and my dad said, you know, um, when you told us that you were gay, uh, remember we told we said like you're a son, <sighs> sorry, and nothing's gonna change, and and they did the same thing then as well. They said like nothing's gonna change. We still love you. And my my mom said, you know, I'm just disappointed that you didn't believe that you didn't trust in our family that he didn't tell us that before, and and I said, well, I know you're like living in your small town, you probably don't know that much about, about HIV and, and all of that. And, and they say, well, well, uh, we weren't born yesterday. Like we, we keep on, on uh, we keep up on, with everything. And um, I also at awesome. that moment also told them that, that I, that I was doing porn because uh, I, to- I hadn't told them that. Um, but I said, you know, I've become very happy because I'm, I, I enjoy this job and, 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 and I enjoy everything that comes along with it. And I've never done any drugs before and I'm not going to be doing any drugs. I'm not going to be any, any different. Um, and then they said, well, you know, with that job, your brother works in insur- in, in, with insurances. We don't really know what he does there exactly. Like, let's keep it the same way uh, with your job. So they know my, my, <laughs> my, my professional name. They, uh, now when I tell them before Corona that I'm going to Florida to, to work there, they, they know what it is. Um, they're, they're okay with it. They're fine with it. And nothing has changed. And also with, with HIV, I've, I've heard many sad stories from friends of mine. Um, but my parents, I, re- I remember like shortly after I told my dad, my parents, my dad uh, used my towel in the, in the, in the, in the bathroom. And uh, I thought it was kind of gross because I don't want anyone else to use my bath towel. Um, <laughs> and then I, rea- then I realized if he's, if he's not afraid of, of, of using my bath towel, that my 70-year-old father knows that he cannot get HIV from using the same towel then I don't right. have to be afraid. And since then, it, it has been it has been amazing. Um, that day, I posted it on my private Facebook. I said, you know, if I had had cancer, you guys all would know about it. But it's 2014. I've been living with HIV um, since 2001 for 13 years, and most of you don't know about that because I've been hiding it. And and I got a lot of um, positive feedback from 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 my friends. Some private messages messages that said. Um, you know, I'm in the same boat and I can't talk to anyone about it. I'm afraid I might lose my, my job or that people would see me different, even, even in my, in my professional life. Um, and then I said, this one friend said, you know, you don't have no idea how much you helped. 
other people by just speaking the truth, just by, by owning this. And then as that, at this point, because that was all in 2014, I was, I was in Germany for a few months, and I reached out to the German AIDS Foundation, to the local um, AIDS Foundations in, in Munich, um, and, uh, and, and said, you know, we could use my porn name, because uh, porn gives me a voice to, to educate about, about safer sex options. Um, and uh, I had a, in 2015 then, because I was staying in Germany for a few months, I also had a boyfriend there. He was negative. I was positive. Um, and uh, U equals U came up. Um, someone like me who takes this medication, um, there's almost no virus in my blood because of my medication. So the virus is undetectable. Um, and where, where there's no virus, there's no transmission. So undetectable right. equals untransmittable. Short, U equals U. My friend Bruce Richmond started um, that, that campaign, and he's definitely one of my idols. And I started doing, doing speeches then with, with my boyfriend at that time. And we said, you know, we're not using a condom. We know we believe in science because up to this day, there has never been a transmission from someone like me um, to, to someone who's, who's, uh, who's negative. Like there was never an HIV transmit transmission. Right. Um, people say like, but but how do you know? How do I know if if you're on your medication? If you take a medication, I say, well, first of all, personally, I'm very vain. I like the way that I look, and I take this pill every day because I want to look pretty and I want to live a long and healthy life. So one <laughs> of the nice side effects is that 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 I can that it becomes a safer sex option. Uh, and it's actually the, the safest sex option that's out there. But I also say if you're in a bathhouse and you meet someone and he says, I'm undetectable, I want to have, uh, uh, I want to put my semen into your, into your um, butthole, um, then it's maybe <laughs> not a great um, safer sex option because you don't know the other person. You don't know if he, if he takes his medication. Um, so if you have a if you have a fuck buddy that you can trust and that, and and you know he's positive but he's taking this medication and you're negative, then that's something that you can talk about. I said it's all about trust. Definitely, it's a safer sex option for uh, relationships. Like my boyfriend at that time, we went to my doctor and and she showed him all my my medical records and said like he's been he's been undetectable for like ever since he's been taking this medication. And even if some of the medication doesn't work, because there's always a chance that there might be a resistance at some point that you have to switch to another medication, um, you would never go uh, from being undetectable to being detectable to being contagious. It would never go that, that, that fast. Like now with, right. with Corona, I haven't, I haven't done my blood work in six months. I'm doing my blood work next week. Um, and my doctor said it's totally fine. Usually she tests me every three to four months. But she says with the medication that you're on, it's completely safe, um, and it's totally okay to be to test you uh, next next uh, week. So within six months. Great. Um, so yeah, that was my long monologue, like how I st how I started. Um, I then started working with the with the Ger with the German AIDS Foundation. Um, been doing uh, a lot of um, events there in Germany. And then also just by being being an outspoken HIV positive performer, because in uh, in 2017 I won a Grabby, which is uh, uh, an award, a porn award that's handed out by the by Grab magazine in Chicago, and it was in 2017 was the first time that they nominated bareback movies or condomless movies. Uh, before that, they only nominated uh, condom porn in 2017, as I said. 
Um, and uh, I was actually nominated for, for um, or I won for a bareback movie. And in my acceptance speech, I said, you know, um, that it's great that we, um, we don't have to be afraid of showing our viewers bareback movies, condomless movies, because now they can protect themselves thanks to prep, thanks to U equals U. Um, but there's still some discrimination in the porn industry for um, HIV positive performers like me. And that's when I came out um, like openly uh, to a room full of industry people. And I was so surprised that I actually got standing ovations because there were a lot of positive performers as well. But just, but just people that work in the industry who support their, 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 their positive coworkers. Um, and I got a lot of positive feedback afterwards. I, I thought maybe there's going to be some haters that say, well, you're positive and, 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 and AIDS and you do porn. And you, you, like there was nothing like that. And uh and I said, I realized Very that good. porn is giving me a I don't voice. Want, I don't want to cut you off because I think it's important information, but we're not going to have time to write to talk about the musical if we go on too much longer here. So I want to. Yeah. Um, I appreciate you sharing all that because I think it's very important information to get out there. Um, U equals U is very important. I have a friend that said yeah. HIV advocacy out of Nashville. So yeah, I think that's great information. Thank you for sharing your story. That's very personal, but You're I appreciate you taking time to do that. So and, thank and you, you. And you do the education about prep at some 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 other time. Maybe you've done it already, but it's always great to remind people about prep. And the good thing is, you can always read about it on the internet as well. Um, just always be be aware where you get all your information. Um, like yeah, I try uh, to do it the, twice a year because yeah. I always get tested every year on my birthday and every six months. Yeah. And I try to have a show around it then. So I think that's very important. Good. So good. thanks Perfect. very much for sharing that. But let's get into the musical. We only have about seven minutes left here. So and I want to talk yes. about this. And this is a fantastic thing. You're working on porn sets. You're seeing a story play out before your eyes. And you say, this could be a good musical. Talk to me about this. How did you develop your team? You wrote the book and the concept. Talk about how the music came to you and all that. Tell me how this team came together. So I'll be very qu- very quick with with that. Um, my uh, as, as an actor in Hollywood, I think everybody has a screenplay in their head. I never wanted to write a musical, <laughs> but one of my first scenes um, I shot with Jesse the Aris. You can Google him as well. Like he's a singing porn star. He used all of his porn money, had his music produced, and I was performing at Mickey's. I also saw him in London. I saw him in other clubs uh, in a jockstrap and sneakers, and I was singing songs like I'm Your Porn Star, Baby, uh, Callboy, Ahoy, and, and similar songs like that. So for some reason, uh, like while we were shooting porn, we said, oh, you sing, I think we should do like a porn scene together. And somehow this whole thing with porn and singing, porn music, porn musical was born so one of the things I love about this country still um, is that you have a crazy idea. You always find people that say work on it, and it sounds good. I love my country, but the German way of thinking many times is like, no, don't, don't do anything out, out, outside the box. Like it's, You might fail, and if you fail, then you lose all your time and money. Don't even try. So as I said, I was here. Um, I, I have people that support it uh, and said, like, just write a treatment. Like, just write the story down that you have in your head. And I, and I had the story, a musical love story, um, set in the world of gay porn. Um, I think the characters were pretty uh, two-dimensional, two-dimensional in the beginning. And then um, I realized working on it that this is actually such an amazing industry because I was still 
working on in in that industry because I started shooting. I started writing Shooting Star around 2013, 2014, and with all the rewrites, it became three-dimensional characters. I had my first reading um, of the first musical script that I had ever written, thanks to book and uh, books and the internet. Um, in 2015, when I was in Germany, uh, in Berlin, at the Gay and Lesbian Museum there, because they had a, an exhibition about gay porn, and said we should do a reading, um, did that, and uh, met my composer, Thomas Stauske, who is in Berlin, and a friend of mine introduced me, he came to the reading, and he said, I want to write the music, and I was super happy, and then he started writing the music. He said I should rewrite the lyrics that I had already written, um, or have a professional lyricist rewrite the lyrics. So when I came back to New York, I found Eric Ransom, who is amazing in lyric writing. Um, he he wrote the lyrics. Uh, he wrote new lyrics to the show, and uh, so it's the three of us. Um, and I've realized if you're like I had to push it and make it happen, and I met, met thanks, thanks to help from amazing people in my life, met the right people, met the first investors. Um, had uh, readings, more readings in New York than in L.A., found more investors, uh, didn't find a producer. Um, a friend of mine who also is a writer said, become your own producer. You can do it. Just believe in yourself. I did that, raised $200,000 last year from, from investors and from sponsorships, um, put Shooting Star up as a tryout in Los Angeles. Um, uh, the full show, two hours with beautiful music and, and the heartwarming tale. Um, like the LA Times actually said, it's a heartwarming tale of misfits and all-American musical, even though two of the people that wrote it are German. Um, and as I said, what was awesome <laughs> that we won, um, that we not, got nominated by the LA Stage Alliance for two, um, for two Ovation Awards, because it also showed that a show that a few, that a lot of people were laughing about said, like, nobody wants to see a show about porn, about porn stars that actually people saw that it's not a show about porn. Same thing as Rent is not a show about AIDS. It's about people. It's about human stories. And the nice right. thing about Shooting Star is also it's not about gay suffering. It's not no one dies of AIDS. No one struggles with, their, with, with them being gay, with themselves being gay. It's, it's, it's um, a subject matter that a lot of people, many people can relate to who have an open mind and an open heart. So we did our six-week run. Next production is supposed to be happening in Chicago next spring. And then uh, I want to try New York, because in New York you only have one chance. So I have to make sure that the show is, is ready for New York for Off-Broadway, which is the, the size of the theater, not the location. So it has to be anything below 500 seats is an Off-Broadway house. Because um, right. I don't think that Broadway, that a, that a Broadway audience uh, is ready for my show yet. That's why I said I'm going for smaller <laughs> uh, theaters. We're even thinking about making it immersive because a lot of the scenes take place um, at the Black Rooster, which is a fictional club in L.A. where all the porn stars and admirers hang out. Um, and we break the fourth wall a lot of the time so that the host of the Black Rooster is actually talking to you while you're, while you're in the show. So immersive theater means that you create the Black Rooster, you have drinks, and then people are sitting in the Black Rooster, like in, like in cabaret, like some cabaret productions are like that, uh, the musical cabaret. They actually fit you, seat you in a, in, a, in a cabaret. So these are all ideas that I have for the upcoming year. Unfortunately, there's this fucking, sorry, virus out there that, that's ruining so many things in our lives. So now I'm, I'm, I'm debating if I'm creating a digital content, which could be um, like a, a streamable series, um, a movie, uh, movie musical adaption, 
um, or a film staged staged version. You know, on Netflix is, is Shrek the musical. You can watch the stage version of Shrek. So that's that's what I'm currently working on. That keeps me busy during Corona. There you go. Well, that's awesome. I mean, you've had the songs play at Lincoln Center. I mean, you've had them featured yes. in all sorts of great places. You got to be pretty proud of where it's going, my friend. I think that's awesome. Yeah, I, I am. I'm very proud. I'm very happy. I'm also very grateful to all the great people that I met with creating all these, these this, this wonderful music. Um, yeah, it's been an ama- it's been an amazing journey. But as I said, it's not over yet. We were sold out in L.A. I know that there's an audience for the show, but what's crazy is, and that, that's why I'm such a fighter for, for against uh, the porn stigma, because a lot of people think it's just a show about porn and it's, it's, it's going to be live fucking on stage, and it's, and it's not. As I said, it's about people. It's about human stories. There you go. Well, I'm so excited to hear more about it. I think an immersive experience would be amazing. I have a friend that's doing an immersive play, for the last three years, and I just think it brings so much to the production. So good luck on that. You're going to have to keep me in touch with me. Florian Klein, it's wonderful talking to the Left of Straight show today. Thank you, my friend. Thank you so much. And uh, our hashtags are our Shooting Star Musical. That's how you can find us on Instagram and Facebook and everywhere else. That was my next question. Let everyone know where they can find you. If you have any social media or any website you want to give out, go ahead and give that information right. out. Shooting Star Musical, at Shooting Star Musical. is also on Twitter. It's on Instagram and Facebook. Uh, that we can see everything and get in touch with me if you have a theater and you want to, want to be one of the first people to show Shooting Star. There you go. Well, stay on the line for me, Florian. That was a fantastic interview. Thanks so much for it. We're going to play out. Just a couple seconds here, and when we come back, we're going to be talking to Josh McKenna, graphic artist who created the iconic uh, Pride sticker that uh, everyone knows from Instagram. So stick around for that conversation. You're listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight radio network. I fell in love with a photo, head over heels for a face I'll never Squeaky clean in a bathrobe Just a hint of the skin that hides below I can't help it, I'm already, already Daydreaming this fantasy, fantasy Repeating, but nobody's stripping for me All I got are these eyes looking out of my screen A
outside the frame I might want nothing to do with you If we met outside the frame I might want to put you back in Stefan Alexander with Photograph. And speaking of photos, art, and design, I'm so excited to have my next guest on. Uh, You might know him. If you're on Instagram, you do for sure. His work really blew up in 2017, but it's not his profile you might know. He hails from London, and as a graphic designer, his use of color and shape, blatant joy and pride in a lot of his work, has created some memorable work including the iconic figure in heels doing an almost reverse bend and snap from the Legally Blonde movie. He's currently in L.A., and a friend of mine suggested we chat, and I jumped at the chance. So please welcome to the show for the very first time, Mr. Josh McKenna. Josh, how you doing, buddy? Hey, I'm good. Thank you for my welcome. Thank you. Very, uh, very kind. Well, I'm excited to have you. I'm very impressed with your work. I'm glad that we had a mutual friend kind of get us in touch with each other. Um, uh-huh. How are you enjoying L.A. Uh, L.A. visiting quarantine? Um, yeah, it's uh, it's been interesting. Uh, I'll say that I've been I've been here for what, four months now, and three of those I've been in lockdown. So certainly a, way, a weird way to um, get to know the city, but I'm still enjoying it. The weather's lovely. It's quiet. There's no cars on the street. There's no smog in the air. Um, so it's just it's gentle. I'm taking it at, at a gentle pace to get to know the area. There you go. I like it. Well, since this is your first time on the show, let's start with a bit of background. Tell me about where you grew up and what kind of a kid were you? Oh, okay. So I grew up in a small town in England in a place called Cornwall, which is the kind of boots of the United Kingdom. Um, palm trees the ocean beaches but not too dissimilar to LA apart from the weather the weather was terrible um <laughs> always an arty kid definitely um that was my favorite kind of escape from normal life so I was I would just spend my time drawing my whole childhood teenage years was just drawing drawing cars drawing people I guess that was my way of finding my who I was finding out who I was um a lot of my peers and friends were off smoking weed and drinking and all of that. And uh, I didn't really do that. I kind of just introverted into my work. Um, so mm. I guess I kind of always wanted to be an artist in a way. Um, it wasn't until a bit later on in life that I figured that I could make money from it and it could be a, a job. So I went to university um, after many years partying in London and finding myself and a gay man discovering where I was in this world, 
yeah, I studied at university, did illustration for a few years and then kind of just moved to London and tried to make it as an illustrator. And it's not a, not an easy task. Um, it's quite a saturated market. So, yeah, it was quite a struggle. I mean, I've always had two jobs on the go, um, a lot of self-promotion, lots of interviews, doing what I can to kind of get my name out there. And then, yeah, I kind of found my feet in, in 2017 when, when I did the Pride sticker, kind of just blown up from there. There you go. I want to get into all of that. Talk about, I'm not as much interested in coming out stories as I am when you found your tribe or your tribe found you when did you first feel comfortable in the lgbtq community um i guess like most people in college i was a, i guess a bit alternative i was i didn't fit crew or whatever it was um and then right. i i discovered kind of comic books and alternative music and indie films that i guess that was when i kind of started to feel like a i connected with people uh, not necessarily LGBT community back then, but it was just latching onto something a bit different. So I explored that for many years, and then that kind of took me into the queer community when I moved to London, and, and that's where I found my tribe, where I truly belonged, which was people that just, you know, had been through it all themselves. We were really young, 19, 20, 21. So we were very new, very fresh-faced uh, in London, in the kind of, party scene um and we had a little tribe i found some good friends um and I, I had the best time of my life kind of just being who i always wanted to be and partying way too much um yeah <laughs> and, and, and yeah exactly <laughs> <laughs> yeah very good that's awesome i love hearing that well let's go into the art a little bit let's talk about your first foray into, I mean, you went to a graphic design school, you went to university, as you said. Talk about what your, what was in your mind, what was going to happen. Did you think you were going to go to work for an advertising agency? Did you think you were going to create your own art and, and get out that way? Or what was, your, what was your aspirations before you got into the real world? Let's put it that way. Yeah, I guess. So I went, when I was at university, I just was... Um, I was. Just, I didn't have a plan. I. This was the other side of kind of being a party boy in London. I kind of left that to knuckle down and see what I can make from being an illustrator or an artist. So I, I didn't really have a plan. Right. I. I was just using the school to, uh, to hone my skills because my whole plan throughout my whole life was to be a car designer. That was always on the cards. I was fascinated with cars design. I even studied it for a couple of months at university before I moved to London because I thought that was my destiny um, but it, the timing of coming out and moving home it just didn't marry up and I wasn't ready to study a dry course I guess I wasn't ready I, I still hadn't discovered who I was so okay. illustration was always kind of a, a backup and I just okay. did I did university learned my skills and then I guess because I'd went I went a bit later in life. I was a little bit older than the rest of the kids there. I felt the pressure to make something of it. So I, I, mm. forced, I kind of forced my way into London, into the illustration uh, network, and, you know, did as much promo as I could to try and get work out there, to try and make this a full-time job. So it's it's been a bit of a hustle. And then, you know, what I'm in six years, seven years doing it now since graduating. And uh, 
only recently have I just become comfortable with where I'm at as illustration as a job. Oh, that's awesome, though. And yeah. talk about, I mean, corporate is tough enough, but when you feel when you're drawing for somebody else, especially, does that become like I've had friends in advertising that absolutely hate it because it's just you're you're you have weird people that you're working for a lot of the times. Were you able to work with other outside clients and enjoy it, or was it more of a drudge for you, or what was those early struggling years like? Oh, it's yeah, it can be very difficult. It can be especially when you're new on the scene. I guess um, your clients aren't huge to start with, um, and there's a, a a feeling of exploitment in a way because they know that you're a fresh graduate or you haven't got that much experience they're kind of can you do this for free or could you you know do it real cheap really right. force their ideas on you so you don't really have a voice and then it, it I feel quite lucky now that it's changed where people come to me for my content and my style and, and the way I work and I have a lot of free reign these days, but it's not not always been the case. It's been quite a struggle to kind of find a, an even fairness, let's say, uh, between corporate and, and myself. I bet. What do you think was, what do you think your big break was? I mean, 2017, obviously, we're going to talk about that and the stickers being a big break. What was your first big corporate client uh, in your eyes? And when's the first corporate client that was given to you? And when's the first corporate client that, came to you that kind of made you feel like oh I'm starting to move up here I guess um I did I, before the sticker before the um red high heels man I did a series with Google back then Google was a big 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 name for quite a recent graduate so I, that was the kind of I got a taste for working with a big client and it was an LGBT related project it was stickers again but it was for an app that they used doesn't exist anymore but that kind of propelled me into this queer area of illustration which I hadn't really explored before and then working with such a big client kind of uh, gave me a bit of a taste for using my voice such a, a big company um, putting it out there and uh, showing my work off that's when I kind of started to want to aim down this route of diversity that's and awesome. LGBT work and, and working with bigger clients to get my voice out there Nice. Well, you're so damn talented. Let's talk about this. I love the Art Deco feel to it. Um, is there Art Deco in London? Did you get it from just looking at other designs? I mean, I love Miami. I love the Chicago Art Deco. Actually, Pittsburgh by me has a lot of great Art Deco. Where did that kind of aesthetic come to you? I think because when you study illustration and you look at kind of um, inspiration, the number one go to is always those classic art deco travel posters i don't know they're just so artistic and graphic and simple with a lot of depth and, and they, they've just always stuck in my mind as inspiration so um that was that's always been at the background of every project that i've done and i guess i don't know different locations are also quite inspirational so yeah like you said miami uh is iconic um I've always kind of taken color palettes and simple shapes from Art Deco buildings and old posters. Um, so it's been a heavy, heavy influence. But obviously I found my feet as my style developed since then that it just comes quite naturally to me now. So I've always used Los Angeles as 
a strong color palette like the blue of the sky the palm trees the pinks of the buildings so I try and feed location more into my work location and lighting and, and scenery now more than the art deco stuff oh nice okay very cool and talk about a little of the nuts and bolts of it I mean I read where you you started sketching ideas on like an iPad or pencil and then you kind of move the compositions around a computer before you color is that still your style or what is your style to creating work right now that is yeah I used to do it all on sketchbooks I mean traditionalist keep it on paper pencil and paper that was always my way to do it but then I I worked with Apple on when they launched the iPad Pro with the pencil back I don't don't remember when a few years ago and it kind of completely changed the way I worked it was so convenient it allowed me to scale up scale down change the compositions really easily so that that really helps my workflow and that's still the way I work so yeah I, I have the iPad and it always starts with a sketch because I've just got so many ideas, it's just good to have them in one place as well, rather than over a hundred sketchbooks with really, you know, right. crude drawings. <laughs> I can imagine. Say. Yeah, so it's all in one place. It's all digital. I can send it to a client really easily via email. Um, I can make changes super quick, and then yeah, I just shoot it on the computer, and, and then I kind of give it that graphic um, bold sense. There you go. Well, I bet it's much more convenient, but those sketchbooks will be worth bank here. As good as you are, my friend, discovered as you're becoming, you could have, you could have made some money off those sketchbooks. <laughs> but I'm just going to have to flog my iPad. <laughs> exactly. You'll have to start getting multiple iPads, just sell one at a time or something, and just, just copy yeah, exactly. all your work in each one. There you <laughs> yeah. go. Um, I love – I saw a quote on your website, which I absolutely love, talking about your work. It's uh, It says – Minimally designed but full of voluptuously curved characters, Josh's work focuses less on the details and more of asymmetric shapes in pleasing compositions. Hand lines and bodacious booties are rife in his portfolio (laughs) for this fun, cheeky approach that gives Josh stylized world's personality. I love that. That's a great quote. Whoever said that, good on them. That's amazing. yeah. Talk about your I mean, use of, of shape because you, you, you've been heralded for that and kind of moving stuff around. And I'm sure that's got to be better, easier in computer too. But talk about what your eye goes towards shape and form like that. I mean, the bodacious butts is always, they're just so fun to draw. So that it's, it's essentially <laughs> two, two circles and then a nice bit of shading to give it that lift. So whenever I can, I like to add a bodacious butts. But um, other than the round circles, just getting shapes that work together from a scene and then adding like a, a fuller character or just, I just really like this kind of chunky feel to my work that uh, I guess they're talking about in the quote is, it's just very, very pleasing. So like the squares of buildings and then contrasted with the, the roundness and the plumpness of my characters, it kind of goes with the simplicity of my color palettes as well. I try and keep them quite limited to five colors maximum and then obviously the shapes come into it as well so it's just it's all about moving the shapes around and yeah like you said on, on computer it's quite easy to mix that up um but it's just i just find it so satisfying to draw these butts <laughs> <laughs> well let's talk about first this iconic drawing you made i don't know how to describe it the best way like i said the best thing i could come up with was a backwards bend and snap i don't even know if, if you know the movie reference or not but talk yeah. about what 
what you call the design, how you came up with it, and uh, and where did it first become noticed at? Well, it started with I got a call from Instagram when I was at work. I, I had a second job in London um, in retail, and I got the call. So I took the call in the stock room, and it was uh, a guy called Jeffrey Gerson who worked for Instagram at the time, and he said, "I've seen your work. I'm doing a pride pack for Instagram Stories, so you'd be." part of a series of six stickers that you can use on Instagram stories and obviously that was huge for me to hear to receive a phone call like that from Instagram so I, I was already very very excited and um, the whole brief was to sum up what pride is to you so it's quite a broad I didn't want to do any kind of rainbow related stuff I didn't want to be too obvious so I went down the route of presenting the word pride and what it means to be gay and proud so then i kind of explored the whole um folk dancing ballroom aspect of queer culture um which is where i landed on the pose uh, of the finger snap and it kind of for me summed it up it's just quite masculine looking muscular man in a vest but he's got high heels on like he just doesn't care about anybody's opinion and then the finger snap is also you know alluding to the the culture and the not really caring what's happening, what people are saying about you and that kind of thing. And I think the reason it became, it resonated with a lot of people, not just within the queer community, it resonated with um, straight allies, people of color. It just kind of summed up uh, an attitude, I'd say. So people's reactions to like having a, a drink at the weekend, you could use it. Or if someone's feeling extra sassy, you'd use it. Michelle Obama's used it when she tried on some new heels. It was, um, it just got so many different meanings and it's really open to interpretation, which is again, why it's been so popular. Oh, it does. It's made it iconic. And I love that there's so much um, forethought or not into it, but using uh, African-American skin tone is huge. The, the high heels, huge, the snap. I mean, it just, it's so representative and it goes across the representation of our community. It's not always seen. Everything is very generic and, uh, uh, as you said, rainbow oriented. So I just mm -hmm. think those images together was a master stroke, my friend. So congratulations on that. Thank you so much. Now, it led to doing a pride wall for England back in 2017. Talk about that project. That sounds like that was had to be an honor. Yeah. I mean, that was great because it was fresh off the back of creating the, the sticker. And the, I guess it, it was popular back then, but it, I, it, it didn't get the reach that it's got now. So it's all still very new for me. So, yeah, they, they wanted me to create the sticker within a painted wall at the Facebook head office. And then another one, which they used on, on the parade, which is just amazing to see my work at a Pride event out in the street where thousands of people were looking at it and standing in front of it, taking pictures, trying to imitate the pose. There was a whole Vogue interview around it and the Vogue takeover. So it all kind of it was a massive whirlwind for me to create this little sticker, which was about two inches high. In a, I think it took less than a week to get it done. And then it just, snowballed and, and all these interviews came in and all this other work came in relating to the LGBTQ community. It was just, it's been amazing to see it grow. And yeah, that just doing paintings out in the street has been 
new for me, but something that I I love doing now. It's again opened more avenues for me to create live and outdoors work. Well, I I love all of it. I like your color palette. You kind of stay with a, a I wouldn't say minimalist, but there's not a lot of different colors to it, but they're used so well in your color palette. How do you kind of, um, what draws you to that? Is there, do you have any plan on it ahead of time or does it really depend on the piece of what you feel goes to it? Or how do you decide on your colors? I have my go-to colors. Um, I, I use the blue a lot, the same blue throughout my work. And then from that, I kind of uh, introduce a small amount of color. I just think less is, more when it comes to color um, especially with the simple style of that I work in I just think it translates quicker if you're looking at the image and and you get it straight away and that's a lot easier to do with three or four colors so I try and I draw the image in black and white first um, and then I um, render it on the computer in black and white so that I can get the tone and the shadow and then I just start replacing the colors the black and white with the colors um, and then try and take mm. as many elements out just to keep it super simple. Um, but I've got my go-to blue, and, and then I every I guess every season I'm, I just introduce a new color, or every project I'll introduce a new color. Well, it's absolutely amazing use of color. Those of you that are listening live on Blog Talk Radio right now, you can look at the slideshow below, some of my favorites that I've picked out, and we're going to give Josh's website in a bit. I love the Bombay bottles um, with the different flowers and stuff. That's one of my favorites, mm-hmm. I think. Um, I love your – your. you've really come across on people, too, and, and doing uh, different shapes of people, everything from fun little – I mean, the guy – bending over, taking a selfie of his ass is hilarious. Um, yeah. <laughs> there's a couple of really good ones on there. How yeah. many of these things are you creating? I mean, how many of these, how many of these stickers or how many of these artworks are you creating at a time? Um, I try not to take on too much at a time. Uh, it's, it's quite hard for me to go from one project to another. So I try and keep it as regimented as possible. But the, the things like the mom, the man taking a picture of his bum, it's, it's all that's the stuff I love doing because it just makes me laugh when I'm doing it. It's just so ridiculous that um, <laughs> I kind of I use that as a treat to myself to kind of spend some time to do stuff that I'm enjoying as well as the kind of more corporate stuff or, you know, stuff that pays the bills. So I, I try and do the fun stuff as much as I try and do the corporate stuff. I've got to keep it fun and exciting for myself. Nice. I like that. And you're a very handsome man with your own artwork on your body, and I can't pay too much attention to it, but do you design your own work, or how do you go about designing your tattoos or picking your tattoos? Is it something that means to you, or is it uh, – tell me about that part of um, your art. I guess it goes with the the being different when you were younger. So when I found my my people at college where I felt uh, – where I belonged in this kind of alternative – culture I, that's when I started getting tattoos and I guess it was to to stand out for the wrong reasons I guess from the norm um so back then it was mostly Victorian kind of Victorian Victorian imagery of circuses and and obscurities that I kind of related to back then and I guess it's just developed from there uh, I don't draw them myself like that would be too much pressure for me <laughs> So now, now I search for kind of art that I like that I would be able to have on my body for life. It's a lot of pressure to 
to have art on your body forever. Um, right. And now I'm a full-grown adult. I'm a bit more selective with what goes on my body. But I, I've got so many now that I kind of lose track of what I've got and, and what I want. So I just, if I see something or an artist that I like, then, you know, I'll get in touch and, and see if they're around. There you go. Have you had anyone put any of your art on their body? I have not. I'm I'm yet to receive that DM of somebody with the sticker on their ass or something like that. That would be hilarious. <laughs> I'm a little surprised at that. I would think some of those uh, some of those works would be somewhere, but maybe they're just shy. Who knows? <laughs> maybe they are shy, or they don't know how to get in touch. So let's hope there is. There you go. There. We'll give them that information here in the end. That's for darn sure. Talk about yeah. this American adventure. What did you see it as coming over here? What are you hoping to do? I know it's been weird because of this. Um, what are your goals um, here while you're in country? So I came out on a whim. I, I, I was done with London. I, I kind of got the most out of London. I was there on and off basically 10 years. So I was ready for an adventure. And every interview I'd done or anyone, anyone that kind of asked me about my work, what's next? I, I always ended up saying I feel like I'm going to be in Los Angeles. I just feel like I need to be there. So I came out here with my best friend in, at the end of January, originally for six months, just to kind of see if I could live here, if this is my kind of place, um, start making plans to move out here. And then coronavirus arrived and my best friend <laughs> had to go back to England. And it was at that point where I was, I had to choose to stay or go before they stopped the flights. And I just knew that I should stay, that my whole body was saying, stay here, ride it out in the sunny Californian weather, just just do it. So I, I did. And obviously it's a very weird time to be here, but my change, my plans have totally changed from a six-month holiday now. I'm, I'm here for at least a year. I'm making plans to, you know, get work out here, set up my company, I just feel like this is where I want to be for the foreseeable future. And I guess the circumstances, global circumstances have allowed me to be here for a lot longer than I, I planned. So I'm using it wisely to make sure that I can be here and set it up properly and, and you know, just use it for what I can. Um, but it's definitely somewhere I, I definitely want to be. I, I, I can't imagine myself going back to miserable London right now. That is amazing. Well, congratulations on that. Now, like you said, you had a little bit of time here to actually go out and meet people. You haven't been able to really go meet people for quite a while now. What was your first impressions of the um, California-style scene in general and then the LGBT scene inside of that? I've taken a lot of people out to California, just can't stand it, and then I love every second of it, but I'm from there. So um, talk about what your first impressions of L.A. were. Obviously, it seemed to be good if you want to stay there. And what was your first impression of the LGBT scene there? Yeah, I mean, I got off the plane and I knew already that I was in love with the place. It was, I think there was a heat wave in January or something. So I, was just, I got off the plane. I couldn't believe the sky. And the, the drive into the city was just, I, I've always dreamed of it. So seeing it as a reality was just weird. But I kind of felt like this was where I wanted to be and... Obviously, I came out here with my best friend, so we got to do that together. We got to learn the east side of L.A. really well. She's a straight woman, so we didn't do that much in the in the way of queer clubs or anything like that. Um, right. But as soon as she'd gone, I'd moved into a place here with uh, my fellow Brit, Ramon, who's 
he's introduced me to definitely the LGBT side of LA, um, great network of friends. Um, we've actually started working together on t-shirts and graphic design versions of his photography. Uh, so that's kind of been a little side project. Uh, he took me to Akbar, I don't know if you know that one. Yeah, it's, it's, it's opened up a few avenues now. Just It depends who you meet out here, really, I guess, which kind of depends how you find the city. Or That or, is L.A. You know. <laughs> that is yeah. L.A. in a nutshell. Who do you know? <laughs> who do you know and, where, and where will they take you? Right, exactly. Very cool. Well, I think you are going to do amazing there. I mean, you're, you're with your talent, you're going to do amazing wherever you decide to go. But congratulations on actually living out a dream and taking your talent to there. And I think you're going to be the toast of the town, my friend. I'm very excited for your ride ahead. Thank you. I mean, it's weird right now, but I, I hope that's true. But on the other side of this. <laughs> there you go. Exactly. Once we get through it, well, Hopefully we're going to meet on uh, when I get out to Palm Springs here, so that's going to be exciting. I'm looking forward to that. Anything, any places once quarantine breaks that you have in your mind that you want to go to? Is there any other place of uh, Southern California you want to explore that you haven't been yet? Or what's um, a couple of your goals outside of quarantine? Well, I, like I said, I was here for a month, and I didn't plan that I wasn't able to do anything. So. I haven't even been to the desert. I haven't been to Joshua Tree. I haven't even been to Palm Springs, San Diego. Just all of these plans that I had are just on hold. So I guess I'm going to, once this is all over, I'm going to get in the car and just drive up north. I want to go to the, I want to do the whole thing. I just, I didn't have the time to do it. So, and hopefully it won't be too long until I can visit all these places and, and we're kind of back to some kind of norm. There you go. It's it's a great place to explore. I think you're going to love it. Um, you got to get up to Monterey. You got to get up to San Francisco. You're going to find a lot of fun there, my friend. Yeah, I've been wait. so excited getting to know you, Josh McKenna. Thanks for coming on the Left to Straight Show. Oh, thank you for having me. It's been so lovely. Thanks. Well, I appreciate it. And let everyone know, as I said, we're going to let them know where they can see some of this amazing artwork on your website and where they can follow you on social if they want to want to. Uh, find a way to get a tattoo on their bum or something <laughs> yes and then please send it to me <laughs> can they find you my friend oh so on instagram it would be the instagram handle at jshmck very well and your website where they can look at your art is joshmckenna.co.uk very very good josh stand the line for me it's been an absolute pleasure to talk to you i can't wait till we talk again guys we're going to play out with a little music here, and I'll be back on the other side. You are listening to the Left of Straight show right here on the Left of Straight Radio Network. Sun coming up, West Virginia Highway. Just couldn't sleep in the bed that you made. We're gonna run to
our buddy Matt Van Fossen with Where You Gonna Run To Now. Guys, such a fun show today. I hope you guys enjoyed it. Big shout out and thanks to my guests, of course, Josh and Jeff with their uh, J&J Buzz Pop Culture Minute. Kind of fun stuff on there. Florian Klein, very interesting interview from porn star to musical theater writer and producer. And like I said, that music is playing in some big places. They've had uh, some previews in different places, including the Lincoln Center in New York. So big stuff there. And then finally, Josh McKenna. So looking forward to seeing more of his art. If you're watching it on Blog Talk Radio, like I said, you can see it in the slideshow. And I'll post some on my website so you can see Josh's art there. So that was very, very cool. So that was great. Tomorrow, got a whole new show for you. Day four of five here. We're back Thursday and Friday at 6 o'clock Pacific time, 9 o'clock Eastern time, right here on Blog Talk Radio. Tomorrow night, our special correspondent is Ramis Ellis, and she's going to be bringing us a foodie minute. So that's exciting to talk about uh, what she has found, because we know that she is a huge food truck person and a recipe person. So we'll see what Ramiz has to share with us. Then I have two more interviews for you tomorrow night. First one is going to be live with Brett Shuford. He is an actor, a coach, and a vlogger. He's done some amazing work on Broadway. He has Instagram Broadway husbands with his husband. that They talk about all things Broadway. He's an acting coach. And he has his own YouTube channel where he does a lot of coaching and talking about all things Broadway. So he'll be on first live. And then for the second hour, we're going to do my interview with Mark Evans, which I just had the other day. Mark is from Wales, been living in the U.S. now for quite a few years. He is a big Broadway actor. He originated so many, uh, he originated the role for, um, oh my gosh, I'm going to forget what it is. What is it? He got his break in the States on the Mormon Boy or the Book of Mormon tour. And he just, gosh, I can't believe I, I blanked out his name tomorrow. Anyway, he originated a great role. Um, but he's going to be on the show tomorrow. He's an actor, singer, dancer. So that's going to be a lot of fun. So be sure to tune into that. Uh, if you're not following me on Instagram and Twitter, why aren't you? Get over to there. That's at Left of Straight. 
L-E-F-T-O-F-S-T-R in the number eight. On Facebook, it's the Left of Straight Show page. On uh, the, gosh, my personal page is Scott Fullerton on Facebook. You can send me a friend request. It's a public page. And that's about it. So follow me on social. Be sure to subscribe to the your favorite podcast subscriber or right here if you're on Blog Talk Radio, a little pink button up there. Just hit subscribe. And we are good to go. Another episode in the can as they speak. Oh, I did want to tell you real quick. Um, we are working with HBO Max. They are starting tomorrow a new digital pride site. It's called Human by Orientation, HBO. So if you go to humanbyorientation.com, they have a digital pride site. And starting tomorrow, they're going to do special pride programming throughout the end of the month. They're going to have special headliners like Janelle Monet, Todrick Hall, Kim Petras. They're going to have special underground DJ sets and queer comedy nights. It's all free to attend, all virtually. It's going to kick off tomorrow night through Sunday, June 28th. It's going to highlight LGBTQ civil rights. Nonprofit partners, including the National Black Justice Coalition, the Ali Fortney Center in New York, and the Audrey Lord Project. So that's exciting. And we may be getting a couple of those interviews for you as well. So start looking at that. That's humanbyorientation.com by HBO. So be sure to be on the lookout for that. And we had Dave in the control room today, one of our fantastic new interns. Dave, thanks for the great job today. We are out of here. We'll see you tomorrow at 6 o'clock Pacific, 9 o'clock Eastern, right here on the Left of Straight show on Left of Straight Radio Network. Bye-bye, everyone. See ya.